Good morning, friends. Grace and peace, and welcome to the strange time I keep refer referring to as Corona Tide. When we don't know when we're going to be able to get back together again in worship, I am coming to you live from Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, uh, drinking from uh, what is perhaps my favorite cup of coffee, a reminder that Jesus loves me, wearing one of my favorite shirts. Church can happen anywhere, a good reminder for us today. Uh, I wanted to start off uh, our worship service today by telling you a story. If you uh, have ever been fortunate enough to gather with us in person on a Sunday morning, you know that I like to start worship with a story. It's because Jesus liked to tell stories. Uh, and this is a story about why you have to be careful regarding what you wear. I often don't think too much about what it is I'm uh, wearing, uh, whether it's what I wear to church during the week or what I wear to church on a Sunday morning, because I frankly just put a robe on top of it, and it doesn't make that much of a difference. Uh, but every once in a while, I get caught uh, wearing something out in public, and I don't think too much about what I'm wearing. This shirt is one of those. Uh, church can happen anywhere. This is a shirt that I wear to the gym a lot, uh, not because I'm trying to like have some sort of message about it. It's just a comfortable shirt uh, that I don't mind wearing to the gym. And I remember wearing this shirt, running on the treadmill one time, and then getting off the treadmill and going to lift some weights, and someone came over and said, oh, you think church can happen everywhere or anywhere? Prove it. You know, I was sweaty. I just run. I was lifting weights. And someone wanted me to prove that church can happen anywhere, even in a gym. So for the next five minutes, I tried to make somewhat of a weird worship service happen right there in the middle of the gym. Uh, another time I was wearing a shirt that says, this pastor loves you. I was in Brooklyn, New York this summer, and I was wearing this shirt. And I had taken my son to a playground and uh, a man came over to me with his daughter, and he said, oh, how close is your church? And I thought, wow, I feel uh, very seen right now. This guy thinks I'm cool enough to have a church in Brooklyn. I said, actually, I'm not a pastor here. I'm a pastor from uh, Woodbridge, Virginia. And because I was wearing a shirt that said, this pastor loves you, uh, for the next 20 to 30 minutes, he and I had a conversation about faith, uh, about what it is I believe, uh, what it means to gather with people week after week to share with them the stories about Jesus, and while we pushed our children on the swings, we had church. Uh, so be careful what you wear, friends, because you never know just what might come from it, and you don't know how God might choose to use it in a way uh, that is both unexpected and at times bewildering and strange. I want to share a few announcements with you uh, this morning. The first is that uh, in keeping with Governor Northam and Bishop Sharma Lewis, we, uh, as a church, Cokesbury, we will not be gathering in person for at least the next 30 days. Uh, this decision came shortly before the announcement that the U.S. now has the most confirmed cases of coronavirus uh, compared with every other country on the planet. So please, as much as is possible, maintain social distancing, uh, keep excellent hygiene, and don't be afraid to ask for help should you need it. Until we are back together in person, uh, online giving can be made to our church uh, on our About page, which is uh, on our website at cokesburyumc.church. It's also linked in the video description. Uh, checks can be received through the mail. We also have a drop-off uh, mail slot here at the church, so if, uh, if you choose to give by cash, you can put it in an envelope and put it through that slot. Uh, I've been coming by uh, every other day to check on what mail comes through, and no one has access to it at the time except for me. Uh, and this week, we're going to have some other emails coming out about opportunities for online Bible studies, devotionals, prayer requests, 
updates on our local community and what we're going to try to do that's special for uh, Palm Sunday next Sunday. If you're not receiving any of those emails and you would like to, uh, feel free to send an email to cokesburyumc at gmail.com and we will get you on the list. <clears throat> so as I've shared over the last two weeks, uh, one of the things we do when we worship together, we have a fourfold method of worship, which means uh, we spend time gathering, we spend time proclaiming, we spend time responding, and then we uh, spend our final time together being sent forth to be uh, God's light in the world. Uh, what we're doing right now is part of our gathering. It's about preparing our hearts and minds for worship. It's about hearing what's going on. Uh, and as we sort of move toward that time of uh, proclamation, I'd ask you to please uh, bow your heads as much as is possible, close your eyes, find a comfortable position, and join me as we pray together. <clears throat> Lord, with the rise of unemployment in the midst of the coronavirus, we remember before you those who suffer want and anxiety from lack of work. Guide the people of this land so to use our public and our private wealth that all may find suitable and fulfilling employment and received just payment for their labor. Additionally, Lord, we lift up those among us who serve others through area hospitals. Make your peace and grace known to them at this extraordinary time. And now, Lord, each of us will pray silently to you, lifting up our own joys and our own concerns this day. Now, Lord, as you taught us, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson today, this the fifth Sunday of Lent, comes to us from the Old Testament from the prophet Ezekiel. This is chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. I have not the faintest clue upon what page in your home Bible this could be found on. Uh, so feel free to Google it right now or uh, listen as I share it with you. This is Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them, and there were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, 
and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, a vast multitude. And they said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. As I have said the last few weeks, uh, I'm not sure how to worship without singing, for I am a Methodist. Uh, so I'm going to sing for you. I apologize for that, but I will be singing for you uh, hymn number 301 from the United Methodist Hymnal. This is Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross. <clears throat> Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river near the cross a trembling soul love and mercy found me there the bright and morning star sheds its beams around me in the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, Bring it scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find rest 
beyond the river. Near the cross I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Amen. The sermon today is titled, Mortal, Mortal. Uh, then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are cut off completely. Therefore, prophesy. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open up your graves. I'm going to bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In this strange new time that I keep referring to as Coronatide, we have been physically separated by orders of church and state, but we are still bound to one another through the Lord. Uh, and yet it has become very apparent with every Facebook post calling on people to answer questions in order to learn more about one another that we really don't know much about each other at all. So, knowing that we don't know what we don't know, I am going to share something that you actually do know about me, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. It's something you know about me. And it's something I know about you, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. We're all going to die. My friends, that is one hell of a way to start a sermon. Or as it's written in one of my favorite books, in the world according to Garp, we are all terminal cases. That's what we were affirming together on Ash Wednesday, which frankly feels like an eternity ago. It's what Lent reminds us at every turn. In the midst of life, we are in death. And frankly, we didn't need the coronavirus to remind us of this. We didn't need empty supermarkets and abandoned jungle gyms and vacant school parking lots to remind us that no one makes it out of this life alive. Though plenty of us love to believe the contrary. We're all suckers for those advertisements of products that promise youthful glows and smooth wrinkles and tighter waistlines. We use tomorrow's money to finance today's void. We even check the updates on how fast the virus is spreading in certain places, and we think to ourselves, well, surely it won't happen like that to me here. But then it does. Or to put it another way, uh, a few weeks ago, before all of this really ramped up, I took my three-year-old son, Elijah, out for lunch at a local Chick-fil-A. We ate our waffle fries in beatific silence, smiling as ketchup was smudged against our cheeks. And then my boy gave me a look that said, Dad, it's bathroom time. So we quickly cleaned off our messy hands, our faces, and we beelined for the restrooms at the back of Chick-fil-A. 
And after, as you say, business was taken care of, uh, we heard a man walk in, used stall next to us, and then he walked right out. To which my son Elijah shouted, uh, Hey, Dad, that guy didn't wash his hands. And I, being the very wonderful parent I am, said, Elijah, next time say it a little louder so he'll hear you. <laughs> In ways both simple and profound, we like to pretend like the one universal truth is actually a lie. But it's not. You know, Ezekiel, contrary to our dispositions, knew the truth of finitude. Should you have any extra time on your hands while social distancing, go read through the book of Ezekiel. There is some wild stuff inside. And that's saying something because it's inevitable, which is full of wild stuff. But for today, we get to see through Zeke's eyes, the Valley of Dry Bones. You know, it must have been a particularly striking and relevant image for the bizarre prophet considering his own life situation. Prior to this text, we learn that Ezekiel has been on somewhat of a rampage against God's people, indicting them for all they had done and all they had left undone. The people God chose to change the world, the people with whom God had covenanted, the people God loved with reckless abandon, had abandoned the Lord. They had given themselves over to idolatry. Now, idolatry, for the people in the back, is believing and acting as if anything or anyone can give us what only God can give. Idolatry. It's believing that wealth says more about a person and who they are than the fact that they were made in the image of God. Idolatry is looking out for our own interests at the expense of the marginalized. Idolatry is assuming that we can save ourselves. The people of God worshipped whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, wherever they wanted. They ignored the plight of the needy. And they believed they were entirely in control of their own destinies. And the Lord spoke into their midst and said, You want idolatry? I'll give you idolatry. And they were dragged off as captives to become strangers in a strange land, a place called Babylon. A foreign place where the land was dominated by colossal statues, overwhelming debauchery. In short, a place totally at odds with what the worship and the love of God is supposed to look like. And it's from this place of exile... Maybe something a few of us can identify with right now. That Ezekiel speaks of his vision. The Lord drags Ezekiel out to a graveyard that stretches as far as the eye can see. And all his eyes can see are bones. Bones piled upon bones and they're all very dry. And the Lord says, hey mortal, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, Lord, only you know. And the Lord says, tell this to those bones. Oh, dry bones, the Lord will give you life. The Lord will breathe upon you and the sinews and the flesh will string together and you will live because God is God. Ezekiel does what the Lord commanded and the earth trembles beneath his feet. And like a scene befitting a horror film, Ezekiel watches as bones come together and tendons and muscles are stretched and skin forms until a vast multitude stands on their feet and they are alive. Look, says the Lord, these bones, they're the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, we're cut off completely, but look what I did for them. 
I will bring all of you back and you shall know I am the Lord. Friends, this is strange stuff, even for the Bible. The Lord promises to reconstitute the very people who had given up on the Lord. God breathes life into the bones of those who had destroyed life time and time again. God makes a way where there was no way, and the bones, they live. You know, contrary to how so many of us speak about church or even hear about church, this confounding moment here in the Valley of the Dry Bones has not one thing to do with us and whatever it is we think we bring to the table. Notice, the people of God have done less than nothing to restore God's faith in them. They died and they were buried in their sins, buried in their trespasses, and God says to them, okay, time for me to make something new. They didn't deserve it and they certainly didn't earn it. Notice, God doesn't tell Ezekiel to go out and give those bones a 10-step process on how to get their lives sorted out. God doesn't tell the people that they have to pray three times a day in order to earn their salvation. God doesn't wait for the people to memorize their favorite book of the Bible before the bones start coming back together. God raises the bones to life because that's just what God does. I hope you hear that as a word of hope. Because even at our best, we're not very good. And when we hear about the Valley of the Dry Bones, if we hear about it at all, we are often so caught up with the striking physical details, we don't take a moment to really think about what's happening. You know, we have the benefit, if you want to think about it that way, of knowing whose bones we're walking on whenever we go through a cemetery. But Ezekiel, all he could see were bones upon bones. But who do those bones belong to? The scripture answers the question for us, of course. The Lord says to Ezekiel, these bones are the whole house of Israel. But even a statement like that warrants further reflection because if the bones are the whole house of Israel, that means that some of those bones belong to Cain and Abel. Some of them belong to Jacob and Esau. Some of them belong to Saul and David. Those elected and those rejected. It means that buried among that pile of bones are the good and the bad, the sinners and the saints, the first and the last. I don't know what all of you have been up to these last few weeks, but I've seen and I have heard countless stories about people going above and beyond to help people in need, like distilleries shutting down their production of whiskey in order to reformat their facilities to produce hand sanitizer or businesses donating medical masks to hospitals in desperate need, neighbors picking up groceries for the most vulnerable, basically lots of stories of saints. But for every single positive story, there have been plenty of stories that demonstrate the exact opposite. Stories about individuals hoarding up precious supplies and equipment only to price gouge individuals and businesses who really need them. Corporations, calling on their furloughed workers to start GoFundMe campaigns for medical expenses rather than offering them any financial assistance, and countless politicians using our present crisis as an opportunity to shore up votes for the next election cycle. And that's not even to mention the great number of pastors who have, foolishly, assured their respective congregations that they can keep worshiping together or they can keep going out in public because the Lord will protect you in all of your comings and goings. Basically, Stories of sinners. 
I'm going to offer you a word that won't sound very good, but I promise it is good. In the end, we're all just a bunch of dry bones sitting in the bottom of a valley. Even the best of us cannot prevent the, bowl that, the bell that tolls for us with our perfect spirituality or our magnificent morality. Even the worst of us cannot so take advantage of others to stop the inevitability of our own demise. Even at our best, we're pretty bad. You remember, in the time of Jesus, it was the so-called good institutions, both the religious and the secular, following all the proper protocols, calling for a vote. People like you and me joined together, and we crucified Jesus of Nazareth. In all of our goodness and in all of our badness, we nailed that man to a cross, and we hung him up for the world to see. Stories end in graveyards. I've been in enough of them with dirt in my hands, laying it over the caskets of the dead to know that it's true. I've seen enough tears spilt on the tombstones of both the familiar and the stranger to know that the one thing we all truly share is death. I've listened to enough conversations and met with enough people to know that it is our deaths that frighten us the most, even if we do everything in our power to convince ourselves otherwise. The disciples knew it too. That's why they abandoned the Lord the closer he got to death. It's why they avoided him on the cross, and it's why they only trudged up to his grave three days later. And yet, one of the greatest messages of Scripture, a message as plain as day in the story of Ezekiel and the dry bones, is that in the end, it's not up to us to save ourselves. Every one of us will be buried among saints and sinners. Our bones will dry and scatter, and only God, Father of the incarnate Word, is the one who raises the dead. If you find yourself thinking, my life is all dried up, I'm stuck in the confines of my home, unsure of what tomorrow will bring, I have nothing to hope for, I feel completely cut off. If you are feeling or thinking any of those things, then friends, you are in good company. Because God can work with that. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. With the way the coronavirus is spreading, the way that it's affecting different parts of our country and, frankly, parts of the world, all over the world, uh, one of the things that's happening here in our country is a surge in unemployment. Um, there are reports that within the next few weeks, it be, could be close to 30% of our population will be unemployed. And so with thoughts of those whose jobs are on the line because of this, I thought it would be helpful for us to, uh, again, pray for them, um, but also to be mindful of uh, how this is forcing us to maybe take time for ourselves in a way that we haven't before. Um, this call to social distancing means not being around other people, which means staying in our own homes. So for those of us who even have homes to stay in, this is uh, a wonderful thing. Um, but I thought, again, we should pray. We should pray for those who are unsure of what tomorrow will bring and pray for those who uh, now stuck at home uh, are feeling, um, feeling a little bored. So let's pray. 
Lord, we humbly come before you broken, bruised, scattered, unsure of what tomorrow will bring. We come before you uh, employed and unemployed. We come before you rich and poor, hungry and full. And we pray for your peace that knows uh, no understanding and goes beyond our understanding to rain down upon those who need it most. And we also pray in the course of this, our busy lives, give us times of refreshment and peace. Grant that we may so use our time to rebuild our bodies, to renew our minds, that our spirits may be opened to the goodness of your creation. We pray all these things through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Typically, when we gather for worship together, as I said, we're gathered, we proclaim, and then we respond. We respond with prayers, we respond with our tithes and our offerings, something that we uh, still can do, though differently now, perhaps giving online, sending a check through the mail, uh, bringing a gift uh, to the church and through our Dropbox. Uh, but it's also a time for us to offer ourselves ourselves to the Lord and to others. And one of the ways we like to do that is with uh, affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So if you know it, uh, please join me with it. If you don't, again, you can Google it and pull it up. Uh, but let us affirm our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and of earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In many ways, our lives are made up of countless accidents. We like to tell ourselves that we have made ourselves, and yet most of us know, truly deep down, that we are more affected by what happens to us than by what we do. And truthfully, some of the most determinative aspects of our lives have nothing to do with our own choices. We cannot choose the color of our skin, or the family we were born into, or even the geography of our birth. Right now, we can't really affect our current situation, save for heeding the advice of medical professionals, and maintaining social distancing, and washing our hands constantly. But even if we do all of those things, even if we do all the right things in our life, it's usually the things we can't control that actually control us. It's a lot of accidents sometimes. But we, we can be the strange and happy accidents for other people in the world to smell, to touch the one who has brought our salvation to us. For God's salvation is fleshy business. It's not spiritual pie in the sky, ethereal business. It's bone upon bone, flesh upon flesh, all confused with each other until God makes us something new. In other words, it's real. It's as real as the bread we eat. It's as real as the coffee we drink. It's as real as the people bound to us with this strange thing we call church, and even stranger right now as we are physically separated from one another. You know, this question that Ezekiel is asked by the Lord, it's just so good. Mortal, 
can these bones live? That is just such a probing and lingering question. And of course, it's the Lord who speaks into existence the things that do not exist. The Lord speaks life back into the dry bones. So last week, I encourage everyone who uh, tuned in for worship to reach out to three people, uh, simply to check in on them, perhaps a friend or a neighbor or a coworker. And more than a few of you wrote to me over the last week to describe how your connecting went. Uh, so this week, taking a cue from the Lord in Ezekiel, I want to encourage everyone not only to check in on three people, but also speak a word that gives life to three people. Uh, think about people in your life who may be feeling like a valley of dry bones, people who are feeling at their end about what tomorrow or the next day or the next day might bring. Now, speaking a word that gives them life might be as simple as paying them a compliment, or it might be as profound as sharing with that person how they reshaped your life for the better. Uh, but connect with three people this week, not just to check on them, but to share with them a word that can speak some life into their dry bones. You know, we cannot gather in person right now, but that doesn't mean that we are distant from one another in spirit or in communication. A life-giving word can do more than you might ever imagine, and it could be the difference that makes all the difference. So friends, I give thanks that you have spent time with me on the internet today to hear what God has to say to us through the book of Ezekiel a word about who we are and whose we are, a reminder that in the end, it's not up to us to save ourselves or save the world. That's up to God. And so if we are feeling dry, if we are feeling at a loss, if we are feeling a little hopeless, that's okay, uh, because that's exactly the kind of life that God likes to speak into the midst of and draw forth something new. So go forth with this blessing and with this benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death, but most importantly, the God of resurrection, speak a word of life into your life today and every day, knowing that your bones might live. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Go in peace, friends, and remember, Jesus loves you.